We are all purposed, molded by the hands of our Creator. We all have different passions and callings, but we are, in a way, the same. We are all created for connection. We are made for deep, vulnerable, intimate relationships with one another, to sharpen one another, to learn from one another, and to reach the lost with the love of Jesus. This is discipleship. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, discipleship is our common purpose. We are all made for it. Amen. I love watching that and... um, I don't know if we've shared this in case you're wondering. She does not go to our church, although I wish she did. Um, and so that's just another way the body of Christ joins together. Uh, but we, uh, she's a sweet lady. And I just, um, she's so committed to disciple making, by the way. She's not just a local pottery lady. She loves Jesus and makes disciples. She's for real. Um, but, you know, just as we're watching that again, I think, The reason why we're showing that every single Sunday is just because we want to remind ourselves that this is the great commission. Like this is the great mission that God set out for us. This is what Jesus laid out as his plan A for changing the world. Um, And so we're just trying to get in line with that here at Antioch. Um, You know, a couple things just want to do before I jump into the message. Um, One, I didn't mention this, but... um, uh, we are working on uh, replacing Haley on staff and working through that process right now. Uh, so that'll be coming soon. But with Connor's job, as he's been the missions director, uh, many of you may know Elizabeth Huff. She was up here this morning doing the welcome. And Elizabeth, if you don't know, she's served with Antioch overseas in Central Asia for four years. Am I right? For four years on our team that's still there right now reaching people for Jesus, and um, she came back after her time there and has been on our staff uh, here in, in for the most part of 2020, and so Elizabeth's going to be stepping in to become our new missions director at Antioch, which is really exciting, <clears throat> and so she's excited about that, and we're pumped, and she's gotten to work really closely with Connor uh, really over the last six, eight months, and so it's been really sweet, so we're excited about that, excited to have her on board. And she's got a lot of wisdom and experience and <clears throat> pumped for you guys to get to know her even more. The second thing I just want to do before I jump into the message is just as we were worshiping, I just felt really impressed just by the Lord just to call all the men to stand. Um, and so if you're a man in this house, young or old, I want you to stand up just for a moment. <clears throat> even in the back. We've got to get you in the back, Benavides. Um, all right. So uh, I just felt like... 
the Lord wanted to highlight all the men in this room, um, specifically just to honor you. Um, I'm a man as well, <laughs> and I know that life is challenging. There are pressures that are put on us, and I would argue that by design, since the beginning, since the creation of man and woman, Adam and Eve, that God put a unique authority and blessing on men. And I would argue that the devil's been uh, trying and been very successful for thousands of years to undercut, destroy, divide men. Most wars are not started by women, started by men. Um, most broken relationships are because the man failed on his part. But as I look at you guys in this room, um, whether you're following Jesus right now or you're on your journey of getting to know him, I just want to say that God created you to lead. God created you to protect. He created you to defend. And he did create you to go deep. And just we're watching that video, you know, sometimes we hear like uh, going deep or being close. We're like, oh, that's, that's like a woman's thing, right? Because we're guys. We don't want to talk about our feelings, you know? But I just want to say that God, God uh, feels things deeply, right? And that we are made in his image. And he cares so much about us that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you and for me. And therefore, if we're created in God's image, then we are called upon to be image bearers of the Lord. God says, be holy as I am holy. That's the call. That's the standard. And sometimes the society, that standard's lowered, whether it's watching Homer Simpson back when we were growing up or whatever modern-day show there is that literally depicts men as fools and idiots. God never depicted that. God never created men with the idea that they're idiots, they're fools, they're, they're passive. I wholeheartedly believe that God is raising up a generation of men that will be the men of valor of old, but not just to take up the sword in a fight, but that the men who will go to war and who will love well. Like men were made for war and we were made to love. And do not get that confused because you are called upon to fight for the defenseless and the injustices of our day, and protect the weak. And you were called upon to love well. So I don't know if you didn't have a dad, or you did have a dad, or whatever, but I'm telling you from the Father's heart, you are made for more, and you are made to be men. And no matter what society says, or the devil tempts you to hear, or what you have screwed up or done in the past, the Lord is available for you to come to the cross, repent, turn it over, and he says he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and then you get up on your feet, and you start walking like a man. I love the scripture that says, act like men. <laughs> it's just, I'm just I'm like, yes, honor the king. Act like men. Yes, easy, simple, right? Men need things to be simple. It's simple, right? <laughs> act like men. But I do believe you need to take this to heart because some of you never had a man in your life speak to you and call you up. I don't care if you're rough and tumble or sensitive. I don't care if you play sports or paint. I don't care if your personality is outgoing or shy. None of that has any indication about your manhood. I don't care if you're strong or weak, if you do CrossFit or have never run in your life. I don't care because God made you in his image, which means he made you uniquely and designed you uniquely so that you are able to step into who God's called you to be. And therefore, my last challenge to you is this, stop trying to be like another man. 
Be like Jesus, who is the ultimate man. He's the ultimate man of war. He's flipped tables. He's called out Pharisees and hypocrites for what they are, a spade a spade. And yet he brought little children to his lap. He tended to the orphan, to the widow, to the sick, to those with leprosy and the disease. And he went to them. He was a man of compassion and a man of love and a man of commitment and risk and faith. And he did it all. And the world followed him because of that. He was the son of God, but he became a man so that we could look to him as our model. Amen. So ladies in the room, I want you to take a hand and you, if you're next to a guy, you can put it on his shoulder if you want or whatever. You just extend a hand and we're just going to speak blessing right now over the men in this room. What we're not saying is every man in this room is perfect. What we were saying is that they were created in his image to be his image bearers. And we need men in our society and in the church to be raised up, to start walking and acting like God called them to be. Amen. So, Lord Jesus, I just pray a blessing right now over every man in this room, young and old. Lord, we just speak life over them. Lord, I break off every curse from their fathers in Jesus' name that shamed them, that, 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 that actually put them down or undercut them, Lord. We break that off in the name of Jesus, and we just say that you are men of valor. You are made to love. You are made for war, to war in the spirit. You are made to fight, and that you are men of God, that no matter what you've done in the past, you can be forgiven at the foot of the cross. You can be cleansed from all of it, from the sexual morality to the hypocrisy to the slander, to whatever else you've ever done. Jesus is available to cleanse you and then to call you up, lift you on your feet, and to say, go and sin no more. Go and act like men. So Lord, we bless these men. Lord, I bless the future children represented in this room. Lord, I bless, I, I, I bless the current children in this room, Lord, that these men are leading and are caring for and are fathering. Lord, we pray Would this be a generation of men that lead the way, that are able to stand in the gap for those that need a voice, and he'll protect and defend the children in our generation. Let them be men that are confident, that are ready for love and for war, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I could probably stop there, but we're not going to do that. (laughs) Um. If you can't tell, I'm passionate about men because I really do believe that that is the main societal breakdown we're experiencing worldwide. The, the coronavirus is not our biggest issue. It's not. Racial inequality is not our biggest issue. Politics is not our biggest issue. Economy is not our biggest issue. The biggest issue in our world right now is men, Period. We need men to be men. We need fathers to do their part. We need them to be husbands. We need them to be faithful. We need them to be honoring. We need to be protecting. We need them to learn how to do the dishes. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? That's a real man, just so you know. You can do the dishes, scramble some eggs at least. <laughs> right? Uh, but I, I'm just saying, like, it's not just in the spiritual realm. It's very practical. We need men because you know what? Little kids, they follow what daddy does. If daddy doesn't know how to talk to mom, if daddy doesn't serve and help, those little boys won't either. But if daddy does that, all of a sudden it becomes the culture. We do what daddy does. And daddy forgives. Daddy loves. Daddy serves. Daddy says he doesn't like to eat Indian food, but mom does, so we're going to go eat Indian food. 
right? Whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? They need to know that daddy's willing to serve and sacrifice just like Jesus. The ultimate dad is someone that looks and smells like Jesus. The ultimate husband is one that looks and smells like Jesus. So ladies in the room, when you're thinking about dating someone, you're looking for someone that looks and smells like Jesus. They're not perfect, but they're on the journey, and they want to be like Jesus. If they want to be like Michael Jordan, that's the wrong person. I mean, that can be second, okay? Want to dunk? That's great. Not first. Amen? All right. Well, you know, my wife and I, Ash and I, we got married in February 2006, and um, I just graduated from A&M, and she just graduated from from Baylor, and we were in the process of figuring out where we're going to live. You know, we were trying to weigh that one through, and so, okay, God, we're praying through it. We're talking to family. I'm looking at job opportunities, you know, and literally leading up to the wedding, you know, I was like, I got to get a job, you know, that whole deal. And so we were looking, and as we began processing and figuring all that out, you know, we had a bunch of counsel advice from many people, which is super helpful. But in the end, we were so strongly like sensing from God that we need to move somewhere for community, but not for a job. Now, we didn't know anyone that did that. No one gave us that advice. No profession, no parent. It was always job, 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 job. It's either move for a job or move where there's family, right? I mean, that's pretty standard in our culture. It's like you go where the job is or you go where your family is. But we felt impressed. We need to move where there is a spiritual community that we can learn and grow from. So we moved to Waco, Texas. Now, I know some of you have been to Waco, like, right, Fixer Upper, Chip and Joanna, all that stuff. This is, this is pre-that. It was not cool to go visit Waco. It wasn't like, I didn't know anyone was like, oh, I'm going to Waco this weekend. The question would be, why? <laughs> I'm serious. You know, it was just, you went to Waco on your way to Dallas, and you stopped and ate at one of those 30 fast food restaurants off I-35. You know what I'm talking about. That's what you did. And it's like, but it's like, you haven't been to Waco. You just got off I-35 and then got back on, right? And then you saw a beautiful Baylor to your right. But that was it. And you're like, I don't know about Waco, okay? So people were like, why are you moving to Waco? You have no family there. You're struggling to find a job there. What are you doing, you know? But we went. And we moved there because... My wife had experienced a transformation in her own life in college, being part of the Antioch College ministry there in Waco. And so I'd gotten to visit her some, and I was being transformed by it. Even though I didn't go there, I was like visiting. I was like the boyfriend on the weekends. And I'm like, this place is messing me up. What is happening, you know? Like, I want to go back to College Station. safe, you know? But here it's like my heart's being exposed. I'm repenting of sin. I'm, like, being exposed to the nations. People are sharing with deep conviction. They're fasting. And that's, like, I've never heard of that, you know? Just crazy stuff. And, but my life was being transformed. So we moved to Waco. And um, we moved there. One of the reasons we moved there because we also wanted to do the discipleship school. You know, we have an Antioch discipleship school. It's meeting right now. And we wanted to do that. And so we were so excited. So we, we move in in February to our little dinky duplex. It smelled like cat pee. And, and our neighbors didn't like us. Every time we turned a show on, they were like banging on the, the wall, you know, in the duplex. Oh, the duplex. You know, just, it's like, keep it down. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's like, sorry, we share like a four-inch wall. But, um, 
And so, you know, so we're living there and we apply for ADS and we're so excited. We're like, man, we're going to, we don't like, and I didn't know anybody there. She knew a few people still from back college days, but most had moved on. And so I didn't know anyone. We didn't know any guys, nothing. And so we apply for ADS. We're so excited. And then we get a call one day from one of the people who had interviewed us and said, hey, hey, uh, you know, we want to come over and just, and, 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 and drop by. So we thought, oh, this is cool. They're going to like kind of step in and, hey, we're so glad you're part of ADS, you know, and just like personal uh, invitation, you know. So we're there, and this guy, John, he comes over and says, hey, guys, can we have seats? Sure. And we're like excited, you know, to hear the like, you're accepted, you know. He said, well, we prayed through everything. We talked as a team, and we decided we're not going to accept you into ADS. And we're like, what? And we began asking questions. said, well, why? Is there... Some sin you uncovered, or what, what? We were really open on our application. I think we're—I mean, we're not perfect, but I think we've kind of overcome a lot of those things. And what's the problem, you know? And he was like, "I can't get into specifics, but like we prayed about it, and we felt clear this is not the time for you guys." And I'm thinking, I also prayed to God. So which God are you praying to? Because my God said yes, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> you ever been there? You're like, which God are you talking to? Because mine was really clear. Um, and so. You know, he talks to us, he leaves, and we are like, I mean, we are heartbroken. I'm not kidding. Like, we are devastated. Because we moved to Waco against our parents' wishes, against professors making fun of me, thinking I was an idiot, throwing away my whole college degree and everything else. We moved there, and we're like, we're going to move for this community so that we can grow. And we had no job at the church. It wasn't like ministry. It was just like, we just wanted to go and be at the church. Be, be sitting here and be a part of it. So when they came to the door, like for us, it was utter rejection. Like it was like total rejection. And, you know, it's one thing to apply for a job and not get it. Like, you know what I'm saying? But it's another thing within the church when you're like, hey, can I, can, can I apply to this thing that I'm actually going to pay money to do? And, and, and then you're, re- you're saying, I can't, you're rejecting me. It's like, oh, it hurt, man. And so we took the next two weeks, and we were this close to just hitting the eject button, saying we're done. I, I was mostly. I was so hurt. And I was like, these Antioch fools, I don't, I'm not, I didn't move here for this. It's like, they don't want us? Fine, we'll leave. I could have gone to Austin and worked in construction with them. my brother, my dad. They have a whole home building company. Could have gone to Houston, got a job with Ashley's dad. I could have had other opportunities. We could move to the big cities. I could have made a bunch of money and been around family, and, you know, the rest is history. So we're there. It's like, we don't have any friends. <laughs> we're newlyweds, and we just got rejected from ADS. So now we're like, wow. So we took two weeks to pray through it, and it was hard. But in the end, we were like, okay, we're going to stay. We're hurt, but we're going to stay. And as we prayed through it and talked, we felt like God was saying, hey, just stay here a little longer. So we did. So we just got involved in the Young Adult Life Group. We didn't know any of them, like the new people. Got to know them. It was awkward and worked it through. You know that is when you visit a new life group, it's kind of awkward. You just kind of don't know. And so we got involved and <clears throat> started serving. And, um, and then we actually ended up applying a year later and getting into ADS the second time, which took a lot of courage to apply again. You know how it is when you get rejected. You're like rejected once, rejected forever. But that's not true. But that's what it makes us feel like, right? And so we were so hurt. But I share that with you to say this. Um, 
I, I had a, I was at a fork in the road moment back in 2006. And I could have gone the way of you saying, you know what? That hurt. <laughs> I feel rejection and I'm going to be bitter about it and we're going to eject and we're done. That was a very, I was very close to choosing that. We didn't choose that, thankfully. And God worked it through, healed our hearts. We had to deal with the offense. The guy, John, who came to our house and told us no to ADS, ended up being the guy discipling me for several years. So he rejected me from the school, but he didn't reject me from his life. Sometimes I get those confused. Just because you're told no about a job or an opportunity or a volunteer spot does not mean you are worthless or not. It just means it's not the right fit. And later on, they actually said, you know what? We were actually changing the entirety of the school. And the class you're going to be with, we didn't feel like would actually be the right fit. The next year's class is what we wanted you to be in. And we were in that class, and they were right. It transformed us that year. Everyone in it was older than us. A lot of them were married and had kids. And we learned so much in those nine or ten months. It was unbelievable. And in that journey is when then God initiated and with the elder team there for, to talk to us about planting a church which would have never happened if we would have ejected. <laughs> so I share that with you because <clears throat> um, I would just encourage any of us to consider when we make big decisions in life, consider the spiritual community and the implications. Yes, consider your blood family, absolutely. And yes, consider the job, absolutely. But I would argue it's easier to find a job than to find a spiritual community, one that you're in line with. It's, it's tricky. It's not easy. Jobs come and go. But to find a family you can walk with, that's harder. So that was our journey. And, you know, that, that ADS year was intense, and it challenged us. We memorized scripture. We prayed. I really learned to fast for the first time. We would come in and worship for an hour, and I just thought you can worship that long. I mean, you know, teachers would come in and share things. which just, like, blew my circuits, and I couldn't go to sleep all night. Just like, what? You know, just... It was crazy, but the best thing about ADS was not the teachings, not the scripture memory, although I love the word. The best thing about ADS were those other 31 students that walked with us through our pain and built us back up. So, you know, today we had slated to talk about discipleship, kind of this, this fourth type. I'm just going to mention a couple things about it. Um, but I, I share that with you just to say this, that um, there are seasons in our life to where we need to have a little different form of discipleship. We've talked about peer-to-peer discipleship, which I would just argue that should be like ongoing in your life, right? Like it is for accountability, encouragement, and sharpening. So we talk about peer discipleship. That's for accountability, encouragement, and sharpening. That's people your same age, same stage of life. It's just can we just make sure that we are moving forward in God together? Whether that's coworkers, neighbors, or people in your life group. But that's what life group helps facilitate, right? It's peer-to-peer. But then on, beyond that, then we have mentor discipleship, right? And the reason why we're doing this dinner with family thing on Sunday is a small effort to try to bridge the gap in our church between college students and everybody else. <laughs> Right, And so if you're saying, I wish I knew families in our church, well, we're, we're kind of laying it up for you. Just fill up the form, and we'll make it happen. Do you know what I'm saying? 
But mentor discipleship is not necessarily going to be ongoing throughout your life. That takes a little more work to actually initiate and to make happen, right? You've got to connect with somebody who's not in your same stage, who maybe you are, are not in class with, or maybe you're not at the same job with. You got to go seek them out. They got to seek you out, and you guys got to work together to initiate maybe a relationship for a season. Maybe it's four weeks, maybe it's a year. I don't know. But a mentoring relationship is someone older than you who has more life experience than you speaking back into your life. Then Ashley last week um, did an amazing job just talking about evangelistic discipleship. But instead of just lining out for you, she showed you the journey of Mary Magdalene in the in the film The Chosen, and how she went from this broken. <laughs> Uh, wanting to take her on life state into Jesus meeting her in that pain and setting her free. And I would just argue evangelistic discipleship is the most fun of all of them. It's the most fun. It's the most risky too. Because you're putting yourself out there and you're sharing Jesus and your story and they may listen or they may run or they may throw a tomato at you. You know, it's like you don't know what's going to happen. But, man, we have the opportunity we have the opportunity to bring freedom to somebody and to bring breakthrough to them, and his name is Jesus. So hopefully the motivation behind evangelistic discipleship is that we are, the, if you have the good news, oh, man, we got to share it. we got to share something about the kingdom. we got to sow those seeds. It may not be the full gospel presentation to the guy at the water cooler. Hey, man, you got five minutes? Okay, here we go. So there was Jesus and there's God and this happened. It just, that may not be the right context. And usually it's not. Usually you relationally build that into someone. But sometimes it is. Sometimes it's like my wife shared. You're at the gas station. You do a drive-by Jesus deal. It's just she's at the gas station. She's like these seven colleges. Hey, Jesus loves you. And they're like, what? You know? And, and you just you never know because at the name of Jesus, one day every knee will bow. Unfortunately, though, if you haven't heard his name before that, it's too late. Every knee will bow on planet Earth one day, period. Even the ones that resist, they will bow at the name of Jesus. But you don't want to be forced to bow. You want to willingly bow. We want our neighbors and our friends and our families to willingly bow before the name of Jesus. But we've got to share it with them. Amen? So, And there's people, as we saw last week in our church... There's so many people, the 9 and 11, that just, we need Jesus <laughs> for salvation, for breakthrough, for healing. And that's the one. He is the one that sets us free. So that's, in a nutshell, intensive discipleship is going through uh, ADS in, in a season. So I share those three, but the fourth, intensive discipleship. It's, it's something like ADS, right? It's going through a seasonal thing. It's something like Rock On, right? That's our engagement course. So if you don't know, if you're getting engaged, we're, and by the way, we're looking for more uh, people that are actually married, families, say, hey, I want to invest in newly engaged couples, but it's a six-week course. You go through and you get to mentor, you get paired up with a couple, and they help walk you through things, and you're premarital. Um, we have... Uh, uh, right now, we just even do, do something differently, right? So we're actually doing uh, kind of more or less professional discipleship in a sense, but I would call it still intensive. 
we just brought on nine people onto our staff as interns for 12 weeks. We have a 12-week internship program that they're on, and they're working with different staff, and I'm loving it so far, and I think they're enjoying it, just getting to be part of what we do week to week as a staff and our culture, and we're training people up. In the future, what we're looking towards launching in 2021 is more or less an understanding the Bible course that's going to build upon itself. So think of a 101, 201, 301, 401, and that we're going to start teaching and providing that available to our church. Say, hey, we're going to start having people teach through the scriptures and to help you understand the Bible, how to read it, how to give context, all the new, how the whole narrative pulls together. We just recognize that need more than ever right now. We're in a biblically illiterate culture, and I would say biblically insecure culture. Even if you have a Bible, you're insecure about reading it because you don't want to read it wrong, right? You don't want to interpret it wrong. You don't want to, I don't know what that says, so I don't want to take this out of context, right? And so we don't want to get it wrong. And so how can we kind of come alongside you for maybe it's a six, eight-week course We've done equipping classes in the past and want to do that again, but we don't actually have space right now to do that in this building. But equipping courses on finances, an eight-week course, or on marriage or parenting or on the spiritual gifts. Like, this is where we are going as a church. Our space is a bit limiting in some ways, so we're trying to get creative about that. Um, But I just want you to know that we want to provide more opportunities for intensive discipleship um, with people. Sound good? All right. So... But we're going to switch gears here for this last 10 minutes um, that I just had something impressed on my heart that really feel like we need to share this morning. Um, I was talking to someone the other day, and they're in their 60s, and I said, "Um, can you tell me when our nation was this divided? And he said, Vietnam War. He said, the last time our nation was this divided was Vietnam War. If you don't know, that was about 1965 to 1975. He said our country was divided in every way. And what's interesting, I was thinking about that and reminded that the Jesus movement began during the Vietnam War. If you don't know about that, the Jesus movement started on the West Coast with really, you had this hippie movement emerging as well. You remember some of your parents, grandparents, okay? So you had this thing happening and people started coming to Christ and started experiencing things that, like they saw in the book of Acts. Healings and signs and wonders and miracles that they thought were like gonzo. All of a sudden, people are experiencing the power of Jesus on the West Coast. You know, then they start bringing it through the country. They literally load up in vans across the country, and they start preaching Jesus and sharing the gospel with people all over the place. That makes its way into Europe. So in the midst of our country being so divided and so crippled in the Vietnam War and, you know, the civil rights movement, all these different things were happening. It's like the Jesus movement emerged. It wasn't perfect, but, man, out of that is where we got guitars in a service. But before the Jesus movement, there were not keyboards and guitars and basses and drums. That began then. Because they recognize a need to have music, have a greater expression to reach people. And so even there would be events where hundreds of thousands would gather together. It was crazy. The Jesus movement, so many people got saved. So many people got radically set free from drug addictions in like a moment. But being prayed by the Spirit of God coming and setting them free. It was crazy. Look it up. There's, there's messy stuff with it too, as any movement has. But man, it was powerful. And I was reminded of, okay, at the time when our country is most divided, God still birthed something glorious. And I'm believing for that again. Um, You know, as I'm watching and listening and praying for our nation, um, this is where I believe we are. 
I believe we're in a time where um, people truly don't know how to have a real conversation. I'm seeing this play out across anything. You could name it. Sports, <laughs> politics, church. You could name a whole list of issues. But I think that people are struggling to know how to listen and how to respond. The way I put it is this. People are either lashing out or shutting down. That's the tone of our nation right now. You either lash out on social media, on a talk show, on a blog, in a book, in a meeting, <laughs> to a friend, on the phone, in a text, in an email, however you want to lash out. And if that person doesn't 100% agree with you, you just shut down or you lash out again. You see, there used to be these phrases like, we can agree to disagree, right? Or we can meet in the middle. That's not happening. Um, as, as my friend Jonathan Stone put it, he said, people are saying there's one winner and one loser in every discussion. Both can't win. That's the tone right now. The tone is politically, it's all of our stuff or all of our stuff. Meaning in the middle, ha, right? In the church, it's as simple as the music needs to be louder or it needs to be softer. If it's not softer, I'm leaving. If it's not louder, I'm leaving. It's like, what? Like, as simple as that may seem, that is where our nation is right now. It is in this lashing out or this shutting down, and it is dividing us. It is tearing people apart. And our tone really matters, doesn't it? It matters. When we're talking to someone, we're talking to a friend, I want to bring into light a scripture that I think that we as a church really need to take to heart today. This is really the main scripture I'm just going to, share with you guys. Um, it's in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 20. If your brother sins against you, this is Jesus speaking, by the way. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Here's what I want you to hear me say. Um, sometimes, as Christians, we will, uh, we will use words that make us feel better. But those words are maybe not accurately describing what we're doing. Right? Someone may say, well, I was just messing around with my girlfriend. But really what they mean is there is sexual impropriety happening, sexual morality. But just say messing around. In the context of this in Matthew 18, other translations may say if you have an offense with a brother or sister, you need to go to them. Here's my concern for us. This not just for us. I think for our nation, um, 
people are using the word processing. I was just processing with my friend about my boss, about my wife, about my church leader, about my life group leader. I was processing. So that makes us feel better. But really what you're doing is you're gossiping and slandering. Just call it what it is. Processing is not in the Bible. That word is not even in there. Slandering and gossip is. And it was used repeatedly. Why? Because Jesus knew, the early disciples knew, that if you do not go to the person you have offense with, it is going to blow up and get wrong and get misinterpreted. So my admonition to us is this, as a church. If you have an offense with someone, with me, with your spouse, with your go to them first. You are biblically mandated by Jesus. So if you're going to claim to follow Christ and be a Christian, Jesus, this is like the red letter stuff, says if you have an offense, you have something, you need to go to them. Go to them first. Is it a little nerve-wracking to go to someone when you have offense in your heart? Yeah. Is it a lot easier to fire off an email and just click send and walk away? Yes. Is it much easier to fire off on Twitter or social media and just then go back to your Netflix show? Absolutely. But is that biblical? No. Jesus is not interested in easier. He's interested in biblical, <laughs> in his ways. We talked at the beginning of this series. The first thing we talked about was you need to be called to be a disciple of Jesus. So here's what I'm asking us to do as the people of God. <clears throat> Not just in this house, but to model for those outside of this house. If you have an offense with a roommate, please go to that roommate. Do not go to the other roommates. If, if that roommate won't listen, then bring your other roommates in. And then you'll have a little sit-down powwow. And if they don't listen, you go from there. But 98% of the time, I'm making that stat up, but this is from my experience. <laughs> and my experience... 98% of the time, it gets resolved at person to person or bring someone else along. That's it, right? Sometimes you need a third party to kind of help hear what's happening. That's helpful. That's why Jesus wrote it. That's why he said it, right? I can tell you guys in the last 11 years as a church, as a senior pastor, less than this many people have, have we had to remove from this church. Right, you use the word kicking out, remove, whatever. Five. Each of those were just cause and went through a lengthy process. And in the end, they never repented, never took responsibility of anything, and kept hurting people. So eventually we had to say, these doors are closed to you until you come back and repent one day. And we always said, they're closed to you until you come back and repent. And every one of those people I met up with and tried to meet up with, individually multiple times, and either they would meet or not meet to help them in their journey. So just, you know, 11 years, we've only had to get to step four in Matthew 18, right? Step one is go to the person of offense. Was. Step two is bring your other brother in Christ to go to the person, right? Step three is now bring them before the elders, and we're talking to their leadership, and we're going to talk to their. Step four is, wow, this person is so over here. They don't want to listen. We've got to what you're doing is so hurtful to protect the rest of the people we have to remove you. Does God still love you? Yes, that doesn't change. But what you're doing is extremely hurtful, and we can't have that happen here. It'd be like having a wolf hang out with a flock. It's like, hello, that guy's still eating sheep. Can we remove the wolf? 
you know, until the wolf repents from eating and starts protecting the sheep instead of eating them. You know what I'm saying? So Matthew 18, right? This is crucial because in our society right now, I am going to people and I'm saying, and they have hurt and pain and people are expressing all sorts of opinions about COVID to racial inequality, whatever they think about that, to political stuff, to stuff in the church, to stuff at A&M. And, I'm, and every time what we need to be doing as, as believers, we say, hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. Have you talked to them? Well, no, no, no. That's I'm talking to you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Matthew 18 says you can talk to them. Well, they won't listen. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You haven't tried. Go to them. Jesus doesn't say only if you like them, only if they're a really great listener, counselor type, only if you have the upper hand. It's just you have an offense. Go to them. Guys, that is killing our country. This is killing our country right now. It is literally ruining people's lives. It is, it is causing marriages divorce because they won't talk. They stuff it. You're not doing anyone any favors by stuffing the pain and the hurt or whatever. And I would say, although 98% of the time it's solved by step two, I would say 90% of the time it's solved by step one. Right? So it's like if you have a problem with someone or a fence, Please go to them. It is unbiblical. It is unhealthy. It is gossip and slander. I'm just going to call it what it is to do anything otherwise. So therefore, at this church, here's what I'm asking you to do. For us to hold each other accountable, including me. That if you ever hear of someone talking about somebody or complaining or processing, you need to say, stop right there. You need to go to them. And when they say, I tried, you say, try again. When they say, well, they won't listen, they say, you don't know that. When they say this and go to them, remember, and I know they didn't have email and phones and texting back then when Jesus said this. I think there's something to going to the person that I think he would still say is the number one best way to do it now. Texting is not a better option. Emailing is not the best option, nor is a phone call. The best option is getting face-to-face -face with someone in the room and saying, hey, because <laughs> you know what? Communication, a lot of it's body language and tone. What you text, I have no idea how to interpret that. And half the time, I have typos. So you may be offended by my typo, but it's not me. It's the autocorrect. <laughs> I didn't mean to call you that, but that's what the autocorrect culture. <laughs> We've all been there. You know you've been receiving it of that one from somebody, okay? But it's like, of course they wouldn't say that to you, but the autocorrect, you know? Here's what I'm imploring us, guys. We have got to correct this. This is the way forward in our nation. Talk to someone. If you don't understand, if you have hurt, talk to them. Try and try again. And if you try, then you can stand before God and say, Lord, I pursued them. I tried everything I could. I emailed, called, texted out of a meeting. I even showed up to their house with cookies. And I said, can we just talk? I did everything I could, Lord and they refuse to meet, then that's not on you. But if you have the offense, that person has no idea you're offended. Did you ever think about that? They have no idea. But you're stewing over here on it, journaling about it, fasting about it. When all you have to do is pick up the phone. I told somebody the day, I said, I could have saved you six months of pain if you would have called me the day it happened. That's on you, though. You didn't do it. 
So now you journaled through this whole thing, had to work through all this pain. I'm like, why? Just pick up the phone. If there's an issue with my wife, I'm not going to wait till like Christmas to bring it up. I'm going to say it then. Now, there's things that hurt us that we can't put into words. We don't know what they are, and that's fair. We're humans, right? It's like, I don't know. Something's off. Well, then that's when you go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me figure out what is off in this relationship. Help me, God. The Spirit of God is so faithful to help us. Did you know that? He is. He's really good at revealing what's really going on. Better than us trying to logically reason it out. Okay? Like, he knows. So it's like, Lord, reveal to me why I have enmity, why there's offense, why there's hurt, Lord. Reveal to me what happened with dad. Reveal to me what happened with my brother. Reveal to me, Lord. He will be faithful. I believe he will. He's done it for me. But we have to be willing to go there. Why? So that we can be free. So we can restore relationship. The last passage I want to read to us is this. I'm going to invite the band to come on up as we close. Um, you know, Philippians 2, 1 through 5 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? That's where we're supposed to function, church. That's what our world needs. That's what we need. We need to look to the interests of others. We need to not have selfish ambition or vain conceit. We need to have a love, but we cannot have a love for one another in a unity in the spirit and our hearts if there's a fence, which is a wedge. Does it make sense? So here's how we're going to end. Um, I am pretty certain that every one of us in this room, if we took 60 seconds, can probably think of somebody that we actually have a fence towards. Right? Like, it may be me, it may be your wife, maybe your roommate, maybe the person sitting next to you, maybe mom and dad, maybe a professor. If we're not letting you meet in class or whatever, I don't know. But there's a fence we have. I'm not asking you to journey through every offense right now. But I'm asking you this morning as we close, as we get before the Lord, just to take some time and to say, Lord, show me where I have a fence. And ask them to show you one person that you can then make amends. One person today. And then one person tomorrow. And there may be a list of people you've got to work through, but I'd rather work them through than just let them stay there and become bitter poison. Do you know what I'm saying? This is for your freedom. It's for your sake and for theirs. And I think sometimes we're hurt and we don't want to be that person to put that on them, but then they can't learn and grow. You know what I'm saying? It's like doing them a disservice by not saying what needs to be said. You say it with a humble heart, even though it's painful, but they want to learn, I would hope. So here's our good deal. I want us to stand, and uh, we're just going to end our time this morning. Just gonna, we're going to lead us in a song, but I want each of us to just take a moment and really just ask the Lord, Lord Jesus, <laughs> show me, show me someone that I have offense towards. And just allow him to speak to you about that offense 
where that started, how that happened. And then ask him to give you the strength to go and approach the person about it. To be the man or the woman of God that's going to try to reconcile, to bring it to him, to bring peace and not enmity. So Spirit of God, we just welcome you right now and are asking for you to speak to us and highlight anyone we have offense towards so that our hearts could be that much closer to freedom, we pray.